welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name's Shane Bredin. I'm delighted to bring you something different today. This is the first recording of our new Cold Chain Catch-Up. Cold Chain Catch-Up is a monthly briefing from myself, Shane Brennan, Chief Executive of the Cold Chain Federation in the UK, and our Policy Director, Tom Southall. And we're taking our regular email briefings and delivering them in person, live on a Friday morning, the last Friday of the month, um, speaking for about half an hour, covering some of the key topics that are shaping our Cold Chain in the UK, whether that's the big picture political issues, the specific regulatory announcements that have caught our eye, or some of the news that's happening in the industry. This week's one, the first one, um, so we're learning as we go. It took about over 40 minutes. We covered things like the Sue Gray reports and the impacts on the Prime Minister, the recent announcements on energy tax, and a whole range of things related to our industry. So sit back, listen in, tell us what you think. Um, we're learning as we go. We're, we think that we've got some good feedback on this one from some people through the course of today. Let's see. If you've got thoughts, let us know. Um, and we'll learn, think about formats and how we can improve this. But we want to make sure we're providing you with as many different ways as possible to hear the content and news and insights that we have here in the CCF in ways that are easy for you to engage with. Hope you enjoy the program and here it is. Cool. Hello everyone, welcome to our first ever new format Coltrane Federation member briefing. Many of you are probably, uh, or hopefully, are receiving our weekly updates in by email and we'll carry on doing that. But we figured that once a month we would uh, run a a sort of verbal version of, of that briefing just for people's uh, benefit, a chance to catch up, a chance for us to tell you what's been going on in the organization over the past month and what some and our sort of key thoughts and uh, point to draw out from the main regulatory and political developments that are going on within which Coaching Federation has some degree of stake. Um, we haven't got any slides, it's just me and Tom talking, so feel free to. Uh, to, 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 to take our our faces off your screen and, and, and look at something else while we're talking. Um, but also, by all means, keep looking at us. Um, and uh, we're going to record this and, and put it out there as a, a, for people to, to, to watch back if, if they wish. Um, we have a discussion format to this. I'm going to ask Tom some questions. Uh, Tom, actually, Tom, Tom's going to kick off by asking me some questions. Then I'm going to ask Tom some questions about some of the key issues. Um, so um, please, uh, Bear with us while we do that. We're aiming to do this over the next sort of half an hour to 40 minutes. If you have questions or things you want us to, to or things that you want us to, to talk about, please either type them in the chat box um, or question box and we'll keep an eye on that. Or if not, just put your hand up and we'll bring you in. Um, Tom, is that, that's the format, isn't it? That's what we thought we we're going to try and we'll see how it works, yeah? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, a, bit of a test today, isn't it? Just to see how the format works. Um, so we'll see how we get on. Cool. But um, yeah, I don't know if we wanted to give a quick run through of the sorts of things we'll go through, Shane, or if we just yeah, just dive. You want to do that? Yeah, so we'll go into a bit of a the sort of high level um, political discourse. So Shane will focus on some of the things going on in, in Parliament this week, although we'll try and look at things that have happened over the whole month. Um, obviously, we don't want to look too far back. Um, some important announcements coming out of the CCF AGM this week. Um, more fallout from Brexit, import checks. Um, and Shane's been on the road as well, um, visiting some, some interesting facilities with the GCCA to update us on. And then I'll go into some detail on um, news affecting cold store operators um, around funding, um, some other bits and pieces I've picked up, and an update from our technical and safety expert group. And also want to focus on our new uh, net zero 
uh, report that was released yesterday and then I've got some a transport update as well again lots more funding um, being allocated to various parts of, of, of transport um, that I think members might be interested in and then we've got a few other bits on sort of CCF events if we've got time but hopefully that sounds good um, Shane I don't know if you want to kick us off normally on your weekly email you kind of kick things off with a, a humorous take on uh, what's been going on in the last week, so no pressure. Tell, tell us a joke. Yeah, no, that, that, that's not going to happen. Um, but, um, my brain, my brain uh, saying as uh, uh, being spitefully uh, uh, sarcastic in, in written form than I am than I am in, in verbal. Um, obviously, nonetheless, with yourself, you know, we're not here to to be the sort of political commentators of the of the day. But it's very hard not to see the work we're doing in government relations without dealing with the kind of map, the big picture political sort of scandals and fallouts and because those things are setting the tone for how government is making decisions right now and so obviously we saw the Sue Gray report being published this week the much talked about Sue Gray report um, one of the most famous women in in, in British politics who never really says a word and um, we finally got to see her report it says what we knew it was going to say you know lots of lots of uh, rule breaking going on in in in, in 10 down street through the pandemic um, I guess the main story of that is that actually it's pretty much it's been pretty much a survival for the Prime Minister in uh, a time where probably eight, two, three months ago we thought this might be the end of his political career. It clearly isn't. Um, there isn't necessarily going to be any specific changes in government as a result of, of, of this of this absolute certainly not in the short term. Though it's not completely out of the woods. There's the Privilege Committee in Parliament still got to go through its proceedings, and that might find that he lied to Parliament, which under the ministerial code should require resignation, but so should most of the things that have happened so far, and he hasn't yet. Um, obviously, we've also seen the significant weakening of his main political rival, which is Rishi Sunak. So if there was a sort of sense there might be an alternative political agenda or policy agenda coming forward under uh, under somebody else, that the fact that Rishi Sunak hasn't got that uh, momentum anymore suggests that that isn't the case. And all of that, all of that really means that we have a government agenda that is still pretty lacking in overall big picture strategy. You know, it's a very tactical situation they're in. They've been firefighting and surviving through the past uh, few months. Um, and it's partly down to uh, the political realities, in fact, it's largely down to the political realities. This was down to the economic context. You know, the pandemic was a period of unprecedented policy change that is still coming out in the wash, particularly in terms of the economic factors the government is now trying to deal with. And we have a... Um, a kind of a series of factors the government hasn't really got a proper handle on. If you look back to the start of the year, the Chancellor was giving budget projections and, and forecasts that were pretty optimistic about how quickly the, the UK economy would rebound from the recessionary pressures that it's under. That's not really how they feel today. And so that's really why um, there's lots of cynics that say that the only reason yesterday was the day the government made the announcements they did on energy. Um, I think that it partly is true that they would they have chose they chose Wednesday because it was the day after the Sue Gray report. But the reality is this was something that was coming. The need, you know, there was a real sense of of, of alarm across government about the scale of the pressure going on bearing down on consumers from inflationary pressure, particularly on energy prices. So the energy profit levy, don't call it a wind tax, windfall tax, has been announced. Um, it's a, a five billion pounds tax take from the oil and gas producers. It means that effective tax rate this year will be 65%. Um, and 
crucially, it also says that, that will carry on through to December 2025. Unless there is a significant market adjustment in energy prices, that tax will remain in place until then, which is probably the thing that was alarmed the oil and gas companies the most. There's also a sort of Damocles hanging over the energy generators, three to four billion pounds worth of potential levy on them, if there isn't uh, in, in the near future. Um, but all of that is, is it doesn't cover the cost of the giveaway. Effectively, what we've seen is another £10 billion worth of government borrowing to hand out cash to everyone in the economy. Everyone who has every household is going to get a £400 rebate on to, to pay, help pay for their energy price uh, inflation. And, and, and the lowest paid households, the, the most at risk, are going to get £750 uh, through that. You mentioned it's going to help the whole economy, but it is just households. There's nothing. None of this, none of this is, is financial support for business. So for, we know we've got members across the cold chain who are facing spiraling energy costs um, for running particular operating facilities, um, but actually any kind of commercial premises are seeing spiraling energy costs, and there is no support for that. No, that's an inflationary pressure. And there's no sign at all that it's even being considered, I don't think, so we shouldn't expect any support for business, basically, in, at least in the short term. No. No, unfortunately not. And and also, I mean, it's it's difficult to see where 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 that would where that would even come from if 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 it was to if it was to to occur. So the final point on all of that on the economic context is, is inflation. You know, um, they I think I said in my briefing last week we were talking to the Bank of England the week before and had a good chance to have a conversation with someone from there, and they're very clear that the inflationary pressures as they have emerged over the last eighteen months come from push factors. They come from supply chain disruption around the world. They come from the oil and gas shortages. They come from the disruptions created by the Ukraine war. Um, and these are not things that they can control through monetary policy. What I think isn't clear though, and what they're concerned about is that that spiral turns into a, a pull set of factors linked to spending and inflationary pressure on wage rises and the like. And I have to say that what the Chancellor announced on Wednesday doesn't really reduce the risk of you know, more money going into economy, more borrowing and more cash in people's pockets is probably going to continue, it's not going to bear down on the inflationary pressure. So um, we have to sort of be alive to that. And so we are expecting interest rate rises. So cost of borrowing across the economy is going to go up and that's going to have to happen in order to try and bear down on this inflation, which is, which is at 9% as of last month um, and could go higher through the rest of this year. It's a pretty bleak outlook when you look at the economy um across the piece really shane and the, the the potential of entering another recession or we might already be in one it seems seems quite unclear but it looks like we're headed that way yeah we're probably probably from a consumer point of view and obviously obviously we know in cold chain that what consumers do is ultimately the predetermined of everything you know in, term, in terms of how supply chains you know what people are buying ultimately drives supply chain performance um particularly in the food sector um but I would also say that what we have seen in the last year is an acceptance in the economy or, or amongst economic actors that prices are going up. You know, real 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 time food price inflation is up to six percent according to the ONS, which double that in real terms probably. But we have we have seen price adjustments in terms of rates for for cold storage services, rates for transport services. So there are it's not all bleak from the point of view of our specific interests in terms of cost recovery, but the cost recovery isn't necessarily going to keep pace with the, it's going to, have to take a lot of skill to make the cost recovery elements of what we're doing match the inflationary pressures on costs and supply chain. Yeah. 
Well, of course, I mean, one of the impacts of people having less money to spend could be that they move towards buying less, more, <laughs> less valuable food, I guess, or perhaps eating out less. So there could be, as as this period of high inflation continues, there could actually be impacts in the way people live their lives, which have a knock-on impact on members potentially. Yeah, and we have members were together at a dinner that we were running on uh, Wednesday night, and um, Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesday night, the before the AGM, and uh, and that was one of the things we were discussing. We know we have seen simplification happening across the supply chain in the last three years. We've seen more acceptance of stockouts on shelf in retail outlets in particular, restaurants limiting their, 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 their menus. And whilst that isn't their impulse to do that, that is the reality and they're getting used to doing that. So we are seeing those simplifications happening in supply chain. And again, the question is, and this is the management skills required across cold chain and supply chain generally, is how do you maintain the value in cost recovery through, through your activities and also put those simplifications in to try and manage the pressures that we're under to get the supply chain working. The other sort of interesting announcement for me this week on this was on on kind of labour issues and things like that. And the first time that I think the number of job vacancies outstrips the number of people looking for work, which was a an interesting stat to get your head around. Um, but but just shows that whilst I think businesses in the cold chain have, have rebounded a bit from from labour challenges last year, those still remain, and and that seems to be another long term issue, or at least the medium term issue that that. You know the labour pool just seems very different to how it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, and if you listen to the prime minister, this is the one thing he's clinging on to now. All of his normal claims of you know the fastest growth in the G7, the the you know the the, the quickest rebound, the, the fastest rollout of the pandemic, the all these different sort of talking points that you hear constantly. The only one that still holds true is employment levels in the economy. But high employment means high inflationary pressure on wages, and inflationary pressure on wages equals inflation spiral. And so there is a real downside to, the, to that pressure, as well as the practical issues we know there are in getting people to come to work into warehousing and coming to work into transport. So it's a, it's a really, it's basically it's it's yet another period of huge pressure on managers, whether they're you know literally business leaders or managers at all different levels, to find a way to get the job done in the context of so much stress of what, what they do. Mm -hmm. But I guess the, the crucial thing to bear in mind in all things cold chain. People still need to eat, so it's not like we're going to see what we do completely dry up and, and not happen. It's about it's about sort of clinging on, surviving this period, rather than feeling like it's actually like existentially a threat to our to our existence. Which so is a tenuous link to to kind of threats to the food supply chain. One of the big, I, th I don't know if it was this month actually or the end of last month, but the the cancellation of Brexit import checks, which you know we we had quite a significant. Yeah. And in, or at least we were part of the discussions around that um, with ministers. Um, I think we were, we're, we were promising to be brief, so I, the Brexit could go on forever. Yeah. So I'm going to keep it very, very tight. Yeah. And as the briefings we sent out. Um, but I think yeah. the fallout has, has continued a bit, and you've done a bit more media work um, over the month on that topic. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. So, so finding a solution to the to, to the issues around, you know, the government postponed bringing in the controls. We're, we're pleased that happened. We pushed very hard for that. And it was a tactical choice to push for that because there were members of ours who were telling us that they would not be able to continue to operate with the veteran controls that were required on import flows. And that would add further pressure to everyone at this time. However, 
it's only it's it's whilst it's an indefinite but a temporary solution not for proposal controls and now the focus shifts to what is the long-term solution in these areas um, and that, that's important from a uk eu into uk public perspective and from a northern ireland protocol perspective northern ireland's food supplies um, and we're very much involved in discussions now about how we do that i think one thing i would say about the fallout is you know it's by far has it it's been by far from universally popular these controls have been removed. And probably the thing to look at, and I noticed a piece in the Lodestar overnight, the magazine uh, for the shipping industry and port industry, about how we're seeing port charges starting to increase again, another set of charges coming in on port controls. And in the Lodestar, the argument is that that's happening because ports are finding they need to find ways to cost recover the cost of putting in infrastructure at ports to deal with what they thought was coming in on the 1st of July. So I think there is a case of you know, we haven't got those significant operational disruptions, but the cost pressure in our supply chains continues to go up because of Brexit fallout. Yeah, okay. Um, shall we move on to more kind of, I guess, specific cold chain federation news? Um, and we obviously had the AGM this week, which um, probably not worth going to, well, not time to go into the detail of, but I think there were some important announcements regarding the, the board of directors for the culture yeah, federation I'm, I'm delighted that you know we, 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 we quite a big period quite a big change this year in our in our board composition and our leadership delighted to say that the board uh, confirmed the, the appointment of paul Burnell of the managing director of samworth brothers supply chain as our new vice president he usually works alongside tim moran who is in who enters the second year of his term as, as president this year i'm delighted to have paul paul in that role and he'll play an increasingly important role in our leadership in the year ahead and into the following years um, also, we've seen some, some some new faces joining the board. So we're delighted to welcome Kevin Hancock from from Norwich Thermotraffic, um, Eddie Green from DFDS, Lee Juniper from Freshlink, Paul Dukes from Americold UK, and Chris Hyde from GXO, all joining the board this time. Um, that's a big old number of changes. We don't normally have that amount of change, but it's sort of an important moment in, for the federation this year in terms of changing things up. Um, and we've also seen so we've also seen the departure of some really really important long-standing figures in our in, in our sector for whom we deserve huge gratitude and that's graham eames gary tilburn Maurice young and paul jackson all have exited the board replacement so that that's a, a you know we'll, we'll put announcements out about that but the new board um comes together now to help us take us into the next phase yeah and it's great to have that i think it's, it's good to have new faces on the board but also you know the sign that so many people want to join is hopefully a, a good a good sign that we're doing the right sort of things and people want to be part of, of sort of steering the, the federation into the future um i guess just just the last thing i've got maybe to ask you shane is you've been away a little bit recently a couple of visits um as part of our new partnership with the gcca um which we probably don't need to hear about your your vip treatment but um you visited uh, I don't think either of us can pronounce this, but the Wangingen University. We're doing that's a terrible attempt, isn't it? The, be, the, be, the best university in the world that no one's named, unless you're Dutch, you can't pronounce the name of the Wageningen University. But they, they they've got they've got a brilliant cold chain facility there. You know, huge, really cutting edge research happening about how to uh, maintain product freshness, how to how to uh, could, how to understand the performance of equipment, particularly containers, reefers. Uh, transport units and also understanding cold storage environments and it was brilliant to be able to walk around that facility and see what they're doing and talk to them about how we can institute more research that serves our purpose as, as cold chain operators and probably the issue that 
I know particularly people from the frozen chain care about more than, than, than well, are really, really interested in seeing progress on is a common understanding around freezing temperatures. You know, we, we, we believe, and you know, we believe this in our sort of bones as an industry, that there is significant amounts of overchilling going on around our industry that costs us a lot of money and energy, and also causes a significant amount of unnecessary carbon um, use, uh, disbursement or emissions. Um, and so we're talking to them about how we might take forward some further research in this area to try and start to change the broad attitudes across the supply chain to what does safe and effective chilling look like um, in the next in the next 20 years. So I'm really excited and optimistic about that. Also, you may have seen a story that Unilever, who actually do have their main research center at that university, um, are looking into this specific issue for their ice cream storage. So who would have thought, you know, that the Unilever, a company like Unilever, would be looking at potentially moving to a minus 12 degree centigrade storage point for ice cream? That, you know, I'm sure it's a long way off, but the fact they're looking at it is quite interesting, I think. Um, also, you know, I've got a chance to meet with the Dutch Association. We've got, you know, interesting challenges along the same same lines as us. We've got to see facilities also in in Spain, in Barcelona, um, which uh, has has really sort of. And I think from my point of view, the whole issue behind GCCA partnership and G with the CCF is, is not about us changing our focus away from being focused on the UK. It's about trying to make sure that we are bringing you the best knowledge from around Europe and the world to help to improve our collective understanding of how we solve our problems and how we see the future as an industry. Absolutely. And on that topic of kind of over chilling or temperature set points, um, we had our latest insight week this week. And one of those webinars was it was quite a broad topic, but within there there was a, a discussion with myself and Rachel Ward, who's a, um, a doctor of, of food safety, essentially. Um, and I've, I've spoke to Rachel a couple of times, but this was obviously sort of on, on camera, as it were. And it, it's a really positive conversation about the progress on, on that topic, which we've been building, I think, over the last year or so, Shane, building our knowledge base, talking to members, talking to experts. Um, and Rachel certainly was very positive around you know what we're trying to do um but but we're very clear on the kind of it's a big old mountain to climb it's these are you know internationally recognized sort of standards and things like that but she was very clear that you know we we have a place to start that conversation whether it's with the the regulators both internationally and in the uk um but also businesses to start looking at, at data essentially and, and sort of proving that building that data source that shows that we're keeping cold chain really very stable and then perhaps we don't need tolerances of three four degrees over what customers specify um, and that in turn can feed back into that conversation about common food temperature set points um, so it's a really interesting topic that we've been tiptoeing around I think for a couple of years but we've got some real momentum now um, to, to follow up I think over the rest of this year D data is key data is key you know we are now in a situation today where we can live track every product that goes through our supply chain and give complete reassurance about what temperature it's been held at that is technolo technologically possible and affordable now conceptually in a way that it wasn't 20 30 years ago so the fact that we need to lean into that i think this is the point but we need to make sure that the regulations and the customer expectations that sit alongside those things are in the right place and that i think is the long-term job of Cold Chain Federation and the GCCA to sort of be the forum to, to bring people along on that journey. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think it is a, a big goal because it, it ticks lots of boxes for us in terms of driving our efficiencies, reducing our costs, but also it, it's a big part of sustainability and net zero narrative. Absolutely. Um, 
moving on, Shane, I mean, the, probably one of the biggest things this week. I want to ask a few questions now, aren't I? So um, I think we're doing all right for time. We're sort of, we're sort of, we need to be quite tight. Um, I want to ask you firstly about, you know, there's been some announcements around, around transport issues, transport policy. You know, there was a there was a, a meeting at the ICT hub where ministers started making announcements about the future of HGV decarbonisation, um, as well as obviously we're in the months after the red diesel announcement, and we've seen some announcements out of London. Can you just give a quick summary and headline view of where we're at on those on these areas, Tom? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, as you said, a number of announcements in this area. So I'll try and sort of rattle through them. Um, I guess the the key headlines are there's nothing again specifically in there for for transport refrigeration units, um, which is one of our main key sort of lobbying points with government um, that they promised support as part of the end of red diesel directly for businesses to trial and and uptake some of the developing technology we haven't seen that what we did see as you mentioned at the the ITT hub was the announcement of um, 200 million pounds worth of funding for the transition to net zero HGVs um, which will be released over the next three years um, and will include things like charging infrastructure um, and other things and to fund demonstrator projects around um, emissionless HTV. So it's, it's good news, I think, from, from that HTV perspective, but a bit frustrating that we haven't got a similar pot for, for us um, on the transport refrigeration side. Um, a few other announcements as well in the last week um, or the last week or so, more money going towards rest areas. And I think, you know, I was with the RHA team last week and I think they've done some quite good work um, raising awareness of the need for improved rest facilities on the road. Um, and they've managed to get quite the government to commit quite significant funding towards that. So 20 million pounds um, was the latest announcement, which actually adds to existing funding that had been announced. So we're up to just over 50 million for government allocated money for companies like uh, Moto and you know other motorway service operators to apply for to improve their facilities for drivers. Um, so that's positive. Um, and the RHA actually have a, a, a petition that they're running for people to add their names to. Um, to show their support for improving road facilities. So I think regardless of whether you're a member of the RHA or not, good thing for you to do within your businesses to sort of show support, support to that. Um, but I think the proof will be in the pudding, Shane. There's no, nothing's happened yet. Um, some of these government parts have a tendency to slowly disappear. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye out to make sure, you know, we, we track where that funding is going um, and which services are actually being up, upgraded. But it's clear that that's of quite, well, that seems quite a big amount. You know, that's only talking again to to the guys last week. It, it's tens of millions for a new facility. So, 50 million sounds good, but it's probably only going to do a small number of upgrades. But it's a good start. Um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned low emission zones. So, this week a consultation has been launched um, by the mayor of London to extend the ULES zone from where it currently is. So, it, I think it extended last year to cover the in between the north and south circular. The proposals are now to increase that to the greater London area, which is pretty much within the M25, so a huge increase. And that would start from um, more or less this time next year, or I think August next year. So what that effectively would mean for businesses um, is that you wouldn't be able to, you would have to pay, I think it's hundred pounds a day for each HGV um, running within that area that is non-Euro 6 compliant. So roughly those, manufactured before 2013 so when it comes in it'll be if you've got a vehicle that's over 10 years old roughly um you may be liable for this charge of about 100 pounds a day um as part of the ULED so potentially a, a big 
big impact. So I'd be really interested to hear from any members um, on the specific impacts of them, especially those obviously with operations around London. Um, do you tend to run vehicles that are that old or do you think by next year the majority of your fleets will be Euro 6? Um, and we'll send around a link to that consultation. But if you are you know, worried about your operations in London, then absolutely you know, reply to that, get a response into that consultation and make your feelings known. I think that it's a symbolically important thing that, you know, within the M25 moving into the uh, to the ULEZ, I think that, you know, Euro 6 is pretty, you know, operators in London tend to be Euro 6 now. You know, I think that, that, that I think is a relatively well-worn uh, path. Um, and Euro 6 is a you know, very successful piece of policy and engineering success in terms of ubiquity of a, of, of a much cleaner solution. But of course, this is this, this is not where it's, this is not the stopping point. You know, this is just the latest incremental step towards the effective ban on diesel powered vehicles within within urban centers in the uk um I mean, we... it is moving fast though shane i mean that's it extended quite massively last year to the, the north and south circular ring and then within a year out again i mean it's, it's really rapid progress um yeah I, I totally i agree with that i just think that you know the euro six point is the point that i think people can sort of look to as a kind of piece of solace that most vehicles are Euro 6, and certainly in, in, and national fleets can sort of redirect and reorganise so the Euro 6s are the ones they use in London. The question, of course, is when do they move away from the from the diesel, when, when the ULEZs become diesel bans. And the, you know, we know the city of Paris is planning to ban diesel by the end of 2024. We're going to get Valérie Lasserre from our French equivalent organisation, La Fenne Logique du Froid, um, speaking at our conference in September about this and talking about how we the future of urban logistics and the challenges around that and how we understand the future of cold chain in that context, how we see the future of serving our restaurants and retailers and consumers in, in, in urban areas. Just to be clear on that, um, Shane, there's still nothing in there for transport refrigeration units. So it is just for, for you know, main ICE engines. Um, so you, you need a Euro 6 cab, but you can run a 50-year-old you know, TRU on, on it if you want. I'm sure nobody's doing that. but. You know, I was doing that, and I think that you know, there are some people that really feel very passionately that, that has to change. So we're constantly keeping an eye on how that those regulations are being are being adapted and changed in order to deal with the transport refrigeration issue. And we have to assume no one should be complacent that there isn't going to be increasing pressure to limit, ban, restrict the use of diesel-powered refrigeration in on on transport units in the in the short to medium term. So next question then is so obviously Tom you've been you've been you know as productive as ever and there's a new report come out of the Cold Chain Federation yesterday. Do you want to tell us quickly the headlines of, of, of our latest net zero report? Yeah, absolutely. Quite quite excited about the release of this one. It's um you know took quite a bit of development and I think it, it it looks great and it's the latest report in our net zero project series. So I hope people on the call have at least got a vague um understanding of what that is, but it's sort of our commitment to look at the long term for cold chain and, and what net zero might mean for our members. We've produced a number of reports already, um, a brief one on sort of defining net zero cold chain. We looked in detail at the transition of transport refrigeration units last year, but this one is all about cold stores, so the cold store of 2050. Um, so it sets out, if you like, our vision um, of how we think cold stores could transition between now and 2050. Um, and principally, that's in two areas. That's continuing our, our strong drive towards energy efficiency. So it looks at the, the technologies um, that we think will develop around energy efficiency, but also in, in playing a key role in the, the energy, the transformation of the UK energy grid, um, which the government has, and 
network operators have set out quite clearly that they see a more a move towards away from a more centralized system of energy management in the UK to a more kind of localized. So big businesses and industries play an active role in the grid. Um, and it sets out exactly how we think cold stores could play a major part in that, whether it's on-site renewable generation, um, heat and cooling recirculation, um, demand management with the grid, um, battery storage, either virtually using sort of temperature in the cold stores or physically with batteries. Um, and that whole piece around kind of again electric vehicles and the, the impact that might have so it really is our our vision of how we think that could transition and what that might mean for for our emissions um but crucially it also sets out what the the kind of the barriers might be for that whether it's funding infrastructure um, or other planning um and how we think um government needs to work with business and also um energy network operators to overcome some of those hurdles so it's um there's two main purposes really or hopefully there's lots of purposes but hopefully it will support our members to to see the direction um, of some of these technologies and, and what that potential is and that might help their conversations with customers and suppliers around investments and, and things like that but also you should really shane it's a it's a, a clear line in the sand and, and a document for us to take to government to work to work with them to highlight the potential of, of cold storage in these areas but also the support we need um, some of these big investments um, and to maximize some of the potential that's set out in the guide yeah so if you haven't already and you you've, hopefully you've received an email from tom already yesterday uh, with the link to the report we're going out again today and it's available on our website um, i would commend the report to you of course i would you know but you know i didn't write it tom did um so i'm, I'm giving him full credit for it um we with these reports and this is the fourth one they are all really good explainers of these big picture issues you know we, we see our job as culture federation to take these quite complicated interconnected issues with lots of engineering and technical and scientific understandings within them and simplify them to what we need to know as generalists who operate in the supply cold chain and also setting out our stall of where we think the pressure points are and that's what this report does you know where, where we think where we think government needs to act where we think industry needs to act and what we need to understand what's our common understanding of these challenges um, so take the time you know they're not very they're not very long they're a, they're a really good um good 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 sort of easy read on on these big picture topics so please uh please do that and i think we've got a launch event tom where we're going to be talking you through it so people don't even have to read it if they don't want to it's going to be able to <laughs> yeah read what it says. Point, yeah um i think it's monday the 13th of june anyway um at 10 a.m monday yeah we'll be doing a i'll do a, an introduction to the report and the key aims and i'll have two or three guests with me as well experts in the area just to talk through some of the the kind of crunch points and and you know how we how we overcome those so yeah do do tune in for that so it's, we, we hit half an hour and i think you know me and you to, to, to give the benefit of our wisdom for half an hour is quite a lot we've got quite a few more points on our list of things we want to talk about but i'm going to take the executive decision to to to, to limit that to just a quick roundup of what's coming up in terms of cold chain federation activities um, and we'll cover the other issues in our in our email briefing and in the next one um so uh, just to say uh, that there are two big events in the Cold Train Federation that have got coming up in the, in the weeks ahead. We've got our summer party event in July, and I haven't got the, what's the date? 15th, 14th of July. Um, oh, Jane will kill me. Um, but basically, I will send it around email. Basically, keep looking up. You know, in July, we've got our great summer party. That is more or less full. So please, if you want to come to that, please book, book up. Um, and then my sort of 
passionate plea to everybody to make sure you've got in your diary the 8th and 9th of September for Cold Chain Live. We have got the incredibly exciting program of speakers coming together, something you like this industry's never seen before in terms of the seniority, the impact, the thought leadership we're going to put on our platform over those two days, as well as having a great dinner and some great networking and a real who's who of the industry coming together um, at a national conference at the Birmingham ICC on the 8th and 9th of September. All members of the Federation get two free tickets to the event. We only ask that you pay for your dinner. Um, we also, all, all associate members of the Federation get one free ticket to the event. And again, we only ask that you pay for your dinner. So, you know, now's the time to book up. You know, we have got a limited number of spaces. We are going to sell it out. So make sure you don't miss it. So book, book in for that. Um, so thank you. And my final plea, I can't let any event like this go past without making a reminder that Tom is getting on his bike um, in October. What's the dates, Tom? Oh, you put me on the spot now. Um, I think it's the beginning, <laughs> beginning of October. I think it's the first till the ninth. But I have yeah. to say, um, you know, members have been extremely generous so far in in supporting that cycle. So it's about a 550 kilometre cycle um, around Malawi. Um, a chance to see some of the great work TransAid are doing in Africa. Um, and yeah, members have been extremely generous so far, which is really appreciated. Um, but we're still raising money. Transate's the industry charity for, for road safety and, 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 and supply chain building in Africa. We've supported it for a long time as an organisation. Um, I've seen for myself the great work they do getting malaria treatments into the most rural parts of Zambia, and, and they're doing that in other parts of Africa as well. Tom's bike ride is, is our way of raising money for that. We've had a huge amount of support already, but please, dip in your pockets, go on the link, give, give us some, some funding um, to try and sort of, you know, really show, show how the cold train is committed to this important cause. So that brings our ramblings and, and briefing to an end. Hopefully you found that useful. You know, I think it's a, a new format. Give us your feedback on whether you thought it was a useful way of, of giving, you, giving you an update. Um, also, um, uh, we're gonna record this and put it out, put it out on, on email. Um, and um, yeah, thank you very much. Tom, any thoughts? No, just say I enjoyed it, Shane. If, if no one else did, then maybe me and you can just have a chat on a Friday morning each week. Yeah, every, every month. We're not doing it every week. Oh, sorry, yeah, every month. Although, of course, we do we do have rambling chats every week as well. Brilliant. Okay, thank you, everyone. Thanks a lot. Have a good, good Friday and hope you enjoy the weekend when you get there. Thanks all. Cheers. So there we have it, Coltrane Catch-Up. It was our first attempt. I think it was quite useful. Tell me what you think. Um, we're going to give it a go, keep these going for a while. Take place, as I say, live on 8.30am on the on the last Friday of the month. Or listen back. But the key thing is, let us tell us your format. Ask us questions. Tell us what you want to hear. And as with all things Cold Chain Podcast, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.